Miracy. Because when these affirmations don't work for us, we beat ourselves up because we think it's working for everybody else, but it's not working for others either. And the reason that it's not working is because if your brain doesn't believe it, it's not going to work. Hello, I'm Melinda Cohen, and you're listening to Just Between Coaches. I run a business called The Coaches Console, and we're proud to have helped more than 70,000 coaches create profitable and thriving businesses. This is a podcast where my guests and I discuss challenging conversations that we face with our coaching clients, but also how we need to take a deeper look into issues that we might deal with in our coaching businesses and with ourselves. As you know, coaches, we don't practice therapy but we often see clients with negative thinking patterns. But how do we help our clients make changes in a long lasting way? Like that's the magic of coaching, right? Is it to help change the mindset or help finding the motivation? You know, as coaches, we work with our clients to uncover the obstacles and then guide them towards the change they want. But why is it so hard to change? And I want to go even deeper into this topic because according to today's guest, what people forget is that you can't change the mind with the mind. Like you just can't will yourself to have a different mindset. My guest today is a PhD and a cognitive neuroscientist. I'm going to be talking with Dr. Irina O'Brien. Irina studied psychology and neuroscience for over 25 years. She founded the Neuroscience School to uncomplicate neuroscience and teach practical, evidence-based tools and strategies that coaches and helping professionals can use in their practice. Now, one of her pet peeves is the misconceptions about neuroscience that floods the media, and her goal is to correct that. So welcome, Irina. Oh, thank you for having me on, Melinda. I'm so excited that you are here. And I love that we're going to dive into this topic about neuroscience, about mindset and motivation. But first, would you share a little bit of your background with our listeners? All right. So neuroscience is not my first profession. I used to be a chartered accountant. And in the, in the States, you call that a certified public accountant, a CPA. And then after my third child was born, I went back to school to study psychology, and I went all the way to getting a PhD. And on the way there, I did brain imaging studies. Um, It was fascinating. (laughs) I love it. Now, you started the neuroscience school to help coaches be better coaches. How did you go from being fascinated and geeking out about neuroscience to actually starting a school to help coaches? Connect those dots for us. I did have some coach training, but I realized that the coach training, there was something missing. And what was missing was the evidence behind what they were doing. And sometimes what they were doing was just contrary to how the brain works. And I thought that that is exactly what coaches need, is to learn how the brain works so that they can help their clients create change that's easier and longer lasting. What you just said just brought something up for me because I often talk to business owners. It's like, if we're going to be business owners, we have to understand the psychology of what's going on with our clients or potential students. 
how is the psychology of what's going on different with how the brain is working? Is that the same thing or is that different? Yeah, it is the same thing. And so this approach helps us to understand not just that our clients are stuck, but what's going on and why they're stuck. Exactly. What are some of the misconceptions that as coaches and business owners, like what do we need to know? What are the misconceptions of neuroscience or what's going on with our clients? Well, one of them is visualization. So the way many coaches recommend that their clients visualize is to visualize themselves having achieved the goal or what I call standing on the podium of success. And the thing about that is that that doesn't help you move forward. And in fact, it can even stop you from moving forward if you just visualize yourself standing on the podium of success. What happens when all you visualize is standing on the podium of success is that there's a drop in energy. And this has been measured by systolic blood pressure. And you can see it in systolic blood pressure that there's a drop in energy and then there's no energy to carry through the goal. So the way to visualize is to visualize the steps you need to take to get to your goal. And that's exactly how athletes visualize. They don't just visualize themselves standing on the podium with the medal around their necks. They visualize themselves actually running the race, hitting that shot and that kind of thing. And so we can learn from that and we need to do the same thing. And the research shows that too, that when you visualize the process of getting to your goal, you're more likely to get to your goal. It's so interesting. Like right now, the NBA basketball finals are happening here in the U.S. And so my husband and I were watching one of the games last night and you could see one of the players was getting ready to do a free throw shot and went through the motions without actually doing it. So like that's what's happening. They're visualizing getting ready, taking the shot, actually moving their arms without doing the you know, it didn't actually shoot the ball, but just moving through it and visualizing it. So it's going through the process, not just the outcome. Exactly. Right. He didn't just see the ball going through the net. He visualized what it was going to feel like, how it was going to be like coming off of his hand. Is it an either or thing or do you do both? Can you visualize the outcome as long as you visualize the steps to the goal? You can do both, but it's not necessary to do both. Uh, the most important part is to visualize the process. Okay, interesting. Now, you said that was one of the misconceptions. Is there another one? Another one is affirmations. So the thing with affirmations, you know, the positive affirmations, is that they often don't work for people who need them most, people who need help with self-esteem, which is many of us, if not most of us, right, need some help with self-esteem. And the thing is that it's a double whammy because when these affirmations don't work for us, we beat ourselves up because we think it's working for everybody else, but it's not working for others either. And the reason that it's not working is because if your brain doesn't believe it, it's not going to work. So if you're telling yourself, oh, I am successful, and your brain doesn't believe it, it's not going to change your mind about whether you're successful or not. Now, is it a matter of just repeating it? Like there was that, I know, my gosh. Years and years ago, I had a mentor that taught me the whole act as if, right? And so it was the affirmations along with my actions, you know, the whole fake it till you make it. And inside my brain, I was like, I'm calling BS. I don't believe this. 
is it kind of like that? Or is it just a matter of over time with repetition, you'll start believing? Or what do you do instead? A really good technique is called the distraction technique. And what that is, is that you complete the statement, this went well today, and you choose something that went well. So this went well today because I am. So the first part of that statement is evidence for the second part. So your brain is going to believe it. And the thing is that you choose something, not necessarily that you were directly involved in, but just something that went well that day, because you are at some level involved in making that go well. So an example, just in everyday life would could be that uh, my kids didn't fight today because I'm a good mother. Right. Oh, interesting. Right. And so, yeah. And so the first part is evidence for the second part. And your brain has no trouble believing that. Oh, you can find all kinds of things. I mean, I had worked with a client a few years ago. I had her do this every day, take three things that happened that day. And she called me a few days later and could not believe how accomplished she was. And this was a smart woman, a smart, successful woman whose self-esteem was through the floor. And we also need to take time to rest and recharge. Your brain can't go at 100% um, all day long, right? It, it gets tired. And um, you've heard of the Pomodoro technique? I have, but for our listeners that haven't, share that with us. One technique where you work for a certain amount of time and then the timer goes off and you take a break. And, you know, some people for 20 minutes, for some people it's 45 minutes, for some people it's an hour. Um, so you have to find the timing that works for you. And you really need to take that break for your brain to recharge. Just 5, 10, 15 minutes and then get back to it. And um, you'll see that your brain has recharged um, and you have a lot more energy and clarity when you get back. Our society really values constant productivity. And yet to be creative the kind of creative, like solving business problems. We need to have a mind that is at rest. If we're constantly like slaves to our to-do list, your mind is never at rest. And yet the creative thinking happens when your mind is at rest. I mean, there are two benefits to that. You're resting your mind, and then you're also allowing creative thinking, creative solutions to come up on, to problems. And you've probably experienced, I mean, we've all experienced how we have this fantastic idea in the shower, or we wake up in the morning and we've solved our problem overnight. And for me, it's when I go on a walk, I have an epiphany. I'm like, oh my gosh. And then I can't wait to get back to kind of flesh it out. You know, when I was doing the introduction, uh, I quoted you and saying that you can't change the mind with the mind. Can you talk about what you mean by that? You can't will your mind to change, right? Change happens in action. Change doesn't happen in the thinking about. It only happens in action. So you have to do something in order to start creating that change. And now you talk about the brain having two networks, right? So now I want to talk about the thinking part of it. So you just talked about change happens in action, but let's talk about the brain for a second. What are those two networks? What are the functions of them and how do they work? I mean, there are many networks in the brain. But the two that are important for us here are the default mode network and the central executive network. And the default mode network is active when we're at rest. That's where imagination and creativity happens. 
Um, it's also where we think about ourselves, where we think about others. And the central executive network is the network where we get our work done. So something external to us that we're doing. And the thing is that you can't be in both networks at the same time. It's one or the other. If you're in the default mode network, you can't get that. It's not the network in which to get the work done. And so a big problem with motivation is that people try to motivate themselves to feel that they want to do this work. But what they're doing is they're keeping themselves in the default mode network. So they're shooting themselves in the foot by doing that. They have to get out of that network and into the central executive network. And that's when they'll be able to start getting work done. Does that make sense to you? It sure does. Now, I'm just imagining you having a coaching session. So you, you've got a PhD in this, you have studied this, and you could use that language with your coaching clients to say, hey, you know, I'm noticing this. For those coaches that are listening in, how would they work with their clients if they're seeing them just getting ready to get ready? Like, I'm waiting until I feel inspired or ready to do this, and then I'll do the work. Like, how do they coach their clients in this spot? You have to just start. And I know that it can be hard to just start. No, so let me go back. There's one easy way to get out of the default mode network and into the central executive network, and that is to take your mind, um, take your thoughts out of your mind, and then take your thoughts out into the room. And so that means just looking around your room without judgment, because if you're judging, you're going back into, into your own internal thoughts again. So look at the items in your room without judgment or look at a window also not without judgment, and you'll automatically be in the central executive network. And that might be enough to get you started on some work. But another another way to do it is to choose something small and on the simpler side, but that you can succeed at and start with that. And I mean, what you choose has to be important for your work. It's not something like making your bed or doing some meditation practice in the morning, which is still important, but it's not important to getting your work started. So it has to be something work-related and make it small so it's not scary. Make sure that whatever you choose is small enough that you're going to succeed on that task. And that'll get you out of the default mode network and into the central executive network. So I'm just thinking about our like our program that we offer that our students go through, our coaching business system program. And so one of the things that I teach in there and that we also do is something that we call onboarding, where when you have a new client, you onboard them, you help them start being your new client. And this is true whether it's a course, a program, or a one-on-one client. And I talk about and teach about small steps that a new client can take quickly to build momentum and get small wins right out of the gate because that creates this forward momentum. So is that what's going on like with the neuroscience behind this is that we're getting them by choosing those small actions that are relative to their goals and outcomes that they're getting into that central executive network where they can get work done and keep making progress? Exactly. I mean, you can't see me, but I'm sitting here smiling and nodding my head. Oh my gosh. And you can't see me, but I've got a giant grin on my, I'm like, this is so cool. <laughs> that is really yeah, cool. It's, it's exactly that. And the thing is we can do it for ourselves. And if you start in the morning with the first task, like business task of the day, um, it can set you up for a productive day. And I've taught this to many coaches and they love it. 
because it does set them up for a productive day. And why it does is when you have success on a task, you get a hit of dopamine. And the the dopamine hit um, lasts long enough and also predicts success on the next task that you're going to do. So if you, you can set up your day as a series of small tasks and for each task, make it small enough that you can succeed on that task. And you can, you can just keep your dopamine high all day long. Is that good or are we getting addicted to it? I know there is something <laughs> called dopamine <laughs> addiction, but, but I think this is different, you know, because you're not doing it just for the dopamine hit, right? You're, you're, you're doing it to get work accomplished. That's why I love uh, geeking out on this when I can understand why something is happening. Uh, then it helps me to make different decisions. Like when I understand, oh, instead of taking, like I might only have three things on my task list. That's my natural, like that's how I work my big long to-do list. It's like, what are the first three? But, you know, it might be big. Uh, But when I understand why I should break it down into smaller, like maybe turn that task into six littler steps. It's like, oh, because it's easier. I get a hit on dopamine. It predicts success for my next one and it keeps me moving forward. So now I'm productive. It's like, oh, well then I'm happy to, I can buy into why I should break that down. I love understanding the why. Exactly. And there's one more thing too. We have to set up our environment for success because the environment always wins. Okay. Say more about this because the interior designer in me is like, I really want to know what you mean by that. To make sure that you have everything at hand that you need, if you want to write this article, let's say, but you need some reference and then you've got to go hunting around for it, that might just stop you from continuing with the article. So you want to make sure you have everything that you need and just set up your work environment that is conducive to being productive. You have to know what works for you and set your environment up so that it works for you. And what works for you may not work for somebody else. So it's not really a one size fits all. Now, there's another area that I want to cover that I find fascinating. I geek out on processes, efficiencies, workflows, systems, like that's, I love that spot. And I'm always talking to our students and our clients about we got to get out of our heads and into our bodies. And It's an important integration, I think. Like we have to bring all of us to our business. We have to bring all of us to our clients. And um, you have said something. I heard you say it. We actually had the luxury of spending a week together at a mastermind uh, recently. And I heard you say that there's more information going from the gut and the heart to the brain than the other way around. And I find that very interesting. Can you elaborate on what that means? Because I would imagine most people, I like myself without even realizing it, think the brain informs the rest of our body. So we're a mind-body system, right? We're not a mind and a body. We're a system that works together. And the purpose of the brain is not for thinking or for feeling. The purpose of the brain is to make sure that we grow, survive, and reproduce. So the brain is in service of the body. And so the purpose of the brain is to, is to keep us alive. And the gut and the heart and other organs send information to the brain. It's a two-way street, like via the vagus nerve. Information goes both ways, except that there's more information that goes from these organs to the brain than the other way around. So that then the brain can decide what it's going to do with that information. 
So because we're a mind-body system, you can't separate the brain from the body. If you don't have a healthy body, you're not going to have your healthiest mind either. You can't function at an optimal level. It is just not possible. Now, you have a useful resource for our listeners that you want to share, an ebook. An ebook is that I think that's how you call it? I call it an e-booklet because it's not quite a book, but it has 10 strategies that they can start using right away with their clients. Oh, okay. That's so cool. it's simple to implement. I do talk about, I think I talk about affirmations in there. Awesome. So we've covered quite a bit about the topic. I just want to do a quick summary about some of the things that we've talked about. We talked about how the neuroscience is really about the evidence behind the coaching, the work that we're doing. It's understanding what's going on so that we can understand how to navigate change or help our clients understand how to navigate change. And I love that you shared a couple of the misconceptions with visualization, a tool that a lot of us coaches, myself include, use, and how, you know, just achieving the goal is not enough that that actually can harm our outcome, but really that we need to visualize the steps and the process uh, to get to that outcome and that goal. And then we also talked about the misconceptions around affirmations. Um, And I love when you said, you know, if the brain doesn't believe it, it's not gonna work. Um, And you taught us a specific technique where we can leverage affirmations in a way that the brain has no trouble believing what we're thinking or saying. Uh, And I love that we talked about the value and importance of rest and recharge uh, and how our brain cannot go at 100% all the time. I mean, that's where burnout happens, right? And so we talked about that mindset shift with that and how change happens in action, not just in thought, but in action. And you gave us some great tips to help us understand how to get out of the judgment kind of network and get into the central executive network of our brain where that's where we get work done. And I love that we talked about environment. That was pretty cool. Like I said earlier, the interior designer in me just loves that topic. And we talked about the mind-body system and how they work together. Irina, what else? Is there anything else that you want to share that we haven't already covered that would be that you want to share with our listeners? Yeah, I think the most important thing really is the mind-body system, that we need to take care of our bodies in order to have an optimal mind. That is really what most of my work is about. And uh, with my students, I always tell them that if this is the only thing that you get out of the program, then you've gotten a lot out of it. Thank you for that. And thank you for listening to this episode of Just Between Coaches. And a big thank you to Irina for this rich conversation. You can find out more about her at neuroscienceschool.com. That's neuro, N-E-U-R-O, scienceschool.com. And she mentioned the e-booklet, the 10 strategies. You can pick that up at neuroscienceschool.com forward slash 10, T-E-N dash strategies. Irina, thank you so much for coming to the show. Oh, thank you so much for uh, having me. It was a real pleasure. And I love sharing this information with coaches and others. I'm Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. Just Between Coaches is part of the Mirror CFM podcast network, which also includes such shows as Making It and Once Upon a Business. 
This episode was produced by Cynthia Lamb. I wrote this episode with Mishi Lance. She assembled the episode. Danny Eni is our executive producer and post-production was by Post Office Sound. To get future great episodes that are coming up on Just Between Coaches, please follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you like the show, please leave us a starred review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. Miracy. And so the tailor, having gathered together the beautiful scraps, began to sew. He stitched and he sewed and he sewed and he stitched. And by the morning time, he had made himself a beautiful coat. Now, when he wore his coat into the market, everyone admired it so much that the tailor decided to wear the new coat everywhere. And that's what he did. He wore it and wore it and wore it until it was all worn out. Or was it? In each episode of Once Upon a Business, Lisa shares a fairy folk or traditional tale and then extracts rich business lessons that are applicable for entrepreneurs, coaches, and course creators. Stories always take us on a journey from one place to the next. Sometimes this journey is literal, sometimes it's metaphorical, but always we find ourselves transformed. This story, The Tailor's Coat, originating from Europe, takes us through a literal transformation of the pieces of cloth and yet somehow teaches a powerful lesson. It does speak to a common entrepreneurial journey. Many of us start out working for someone else and give them everything we've got. Perhaps the tailor finally deciding to make something for himself is similar to the entrepreneurial desire to begin to create a business for ourselves. We take the scraps, the skills that we've developed, the experience that we've gained, and we launch our own business. I think it's an incredibly important skill for an entrepreneur, for anybody running a business, to be able to know that creating something out of nothing is always possible. And it's often the way forward because it's out of the scraps of what's been done before. It's out of almost the missing pieces that are not quite there that we can actually bring our creativity and bring our determination and bring our vision to create something really wonderful, really brand new and really beautiful. And then we can walk around the town with it. You know, we can be proud. We can step out and we can wear it until it's almost worn out, but not quite. To hear more of Lisa's stories and learn the deep lessons they carry, make sure you subscribe to Once Upon a Business wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you every other week with a brand new episode.